Welcome to Game and Watch with Aaron and James, the podcast where we talk about games we've been gaming and movies and TV shows we have been watching. I am Aaron. I'm James. Well, hey, James. How are you doing today? I'm excited. Oh, okay. Why are you excited? Well, today we're going to abuse our power uh, as people who are in control of a podcast to talk about why people should play Soulsborne games. Uh, yeah, a word I don't love to use, um, but we can say specifically um, games in the Soul series by From Software, not any, um, you know, kind of lookalikes or contenders. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of Bloodborne. So like, I agree with you. Soulsborne is not a word I love, but it is difficult to encapsulate this particular subset of games. And we should probably note that we are experiencing even though um, most recently they, well, actually Elden Ring is their most recent, but before that it was Sekiro shadows die twice. Uh, That is a very good game from, from software with a lot of elements, a lot of the same DNA. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a game. All right. I forgot we disagree about that, but it's got a lot of the same DNA as the rest of the series and the games we're going to be talking about today, but we are not going to be talking about Sekiro because it's a little bit different. It's not, I wouldn't necessarily put it under that exact same umbrella. Um, Fair point. So what games are under the umbrella of Soulsborne? Yeah. So the official ones we will be talking about uh, come, as I said, from, from software. Uh, The first is demon souls, which was a PlayStation three exclusive. Uh, The next was dark souls, the spiritual successor to demon souls. That was a multi console and PC release. Um, Dark Souls 2 was the follow-up uh, on the same systems, uh, which was um, PS3, Xbox 360, and PC. Um, there was an upgraded version of Dark Souls 2, Scholar of the First Sin, and that was on the next generation of consoles. Dark Souls 2 was directed by uh, a slightly different team, but uh, the creator of Dark Souls and or the director of Dark Souls and Demon Souls was a direct supervisor. Um, next is Bloodborne, which is a PlayStation 4 exclusive uh, directed by, directly by the director from Dark Souls. Dark Souls 3, uh, which has who even knows how many directors. Um, and then, <laughs> at least three. Yeah, I mean, at least. Um, and we are eagerly looking forward to Elden Ring, which is, again, uh, a, you know, directly from the mind of Miyazaki, who we will talk about. Right. And Elden Ring comes out in a couple of weeks or I guess, yeah, like a, a week from Eight when, days from now, from right now, from where we are like in space, five, four days from when we release this episode. Uh, yes. And we were we're going to spend uh, the latter half of this episode or latter part of this episode talking about kind of our hopes for Elden Ring. And but yeah, the bulk of this is going to be about Soulsborne games. Yes. Uh, and that all starts with From Software. Who is From Software? So I looked into them and I found out a couple interesting tidbits. They uh, fa- were founded, I believe, in 1986. They were a Japanese productivity software company. I did not know that. I did not either. They expanded into gaming in 1994, which makes sense because the PlayStation 1, especially in Japan, would have caught on by then. Um, they created the game Kingsfield. It is a first-person fantasy action games. Um, and it is very uh, esoteric, kind of idiosyncratic. It has odd secrets, weird mechanics, um, and it spawned various sequels. Um, you can think of them as sort of, you know, first-person RPGs, like an FPS, um, but in a fantasy setting with mostly uh, physical melee weapons. 
Then uh, From Software is particularly known for their Armored Core series, which is a series about mech, uh, mechs, mech combat. Uh, I have no experience with it, but I have heard they're supposed to be very good. There's and- a couple or at least one of them that is hailed as being great for how bad it is, how bad its uh, dialogue is. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to talk about Armored Core. I just thought I would mention it because it is one of their really popular series. Um the next one in the PlayStation 2 era is Eternal Ring, um, which is essentially a spiritual successor to Kingsfield, but focuses more on magical combat, um, which again makes sense because ranged combat works much better in this kind of setting in a first person perspective. Um, I have dipped my toes in it. I played it a bit. Um, it was okay, but clearly it was working against the newness of the PlayStation 2. There were a lot of just massive empty areas, and I think they were there because they could render them, but mm-hmm. that left the game feeling very lifeless and kind of bland. And when you did find combat, it was, you know, just okay. Um, but definitely there's an aesthetic of dark fantasy that would be carried forward. Okay. The next one was Evergrace. Um, I immediately recognized the box art. Do you remember Evergrace? Uh, I the title sounds familiar. I'm sure if I'd you recognize it if I saw it. Yeah, Google right now. The Evergrace cover gave me a real blast from the past. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. So I never played this, but I recognize the box art. I remember seeing this game around. I looked into it a bit. It is a third-person action adventure game. Um. Just looking at it, it looks like a cartoonier, brighter yeah. version of Souls. Um, and I had never heard about either of these series or games talked about directly as an influence on Souls. Um, certainly Kingsfield, but not specifically Elden Ring as much and never ever Grace. But uh, Miyazaki surely was at least familiar with these games. Um, there are many, many, many more uh, games that From Software either uh, mm-hmm. created directly or published. Um, we're not going to talk about them. You can look them up online, but I didn't really find any others that were a huge influence on Souls. Okay. Um, um, but- and when we're saying Miyazaki, we are referring to Hidetaka Miyazaki. Who, yeah, who, who is this guy? He's the mastermind. He's, uh, he's uh, my lord and savior in some ways. Um, or most. <laughs> he joined from software in 2004 as a designer for Armored Core. He would eventually become the president of the company in 2014, only 10 years after he joined it. That's, uh, and that's crazy. It is. Right? And it is. But uh, given what he did, uh, it's no surprise. Like he no. saved this company and not just did that. Like he, he created a, a sensation um, I, and we're going to romanticize this series a bit. And I think it's fair. I just, I can always justify it. This game, these, these games are so influential. I agree. And I think he uh, kind of has the touch that Miyamoto has in that even games or uh, gameplay decisions you disagree with, Mm-hmm. Um, his end products are always high quality. And he also you know, has his fingers in everything. True, he does. You know, and say what you will about Dark Souls 3. Um, well, yeah, but, no, I guess not every yeah, every aspect of every game he's involved in. Well, right, but <laughs> yeah. but I mean, even Dark Souls 3, which maybe isn't people's favorites or our favorite, um, it's a good game. It is, yes, no without one could a doubt. ever call that a bad game. I would say it's my least favorite Soulsborne game, but still a great game. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Miyazaki is a fan of manga, Western fantasy, um, architecture, the works of, well, you know, like PS2 era games like Shadow of the Colossus, uh, the Dragon Quest games, Dragon Quest directors, 
in terms of like manga, I want to specifically point out the manga Berserk, mm, um, yes. which is um, I, and I haven't fully appreciated because I haven't seen all of Berserk, but it's just the the dark fantasy elements in Berserk are just there's that DNA is all over the Soulsborne series. And you can tell how much Miyazaki loves architecture, uh, especially as the series goes on in Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3. Just mm-hmm. the love and care that goes into rendering these phenomenal buildings and spaces. Yes. Um, and, yeah. And, and that, that the, like the Western fantasy we mentioned, the architecture, all that kind of stuff, I mean, it's, it's super in, like it all plays into the aesthetic of the Souls games. Absolutely. Um, so I think Demon Souls was in development from software. I don't think he was working on it at first. It was kind of like a failing project, but really got excited to work on it once he heard the general concept. And he had the freedom to do anything he wanted because the game was already considered a failure. And he came up with some crazy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, um, and he's very public about that. He's been quoted as saying like, mm-hmm. yeah, they, it was dying. I just was given carte blanche to kind of do whatever, which also for just kind of a, you know, character designer on armored core, that's, that's saying something. Right. And without stepping too much into sort of the elements of the games we're going to talk about later, one, the, the thing that he has most recently been quoted as his favorite contribution to the entire series was a contribution to Demon Souls where he had an idea where a someone else online could be summoned into someone else's game and play as the boss of a certain area. So if you choose, when you fight the boss of a particular area, you could be fighting against another human player somewhere else, which is a really neat idea. And which, you know, spun off into kind of all of the multiplayer systems in um, the Souls games. Yes. So the only thing is uh, Demon Souls didn't do, it depends on how you, what you call like a a failure of a game, because it was critically received, at least in the West, but it didn't sell very well, no matter what. Um, And it didn't help that it was an exclusive for PS3. Yeah, that's the only reason I didn't play it. I had heard that it was definitely worth um, your time, but I was in college at the time. I had an Xbox 360 and I just, I couldn't justify it. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing it and being very interested in it. Um, I have some funny stories that I'll save for for histories later. Ah, please. Um, but yeah, it, it eventually became a bit of a cult hit um, for a lot of the reasons that we're going to get into about kind of elements of that game that, existed in, or that existed all the rest of the games. Um, there was like a really great attention to detail, uh, very deep lore, very precise combat feels a little imprecise in hindsight now, but at the time, pretty, pretty incredible, um, very dark tone, um, very unique aesthetic. And the thing that is most cited for this game and the whole series is its difficulty which people have described as unforgiving, which, you know what I, I, you know, we've heard that used a lot, you know, described as unforgivingly difficult. I would say it's not overall unforgivingly difficult. I will say it has an extremely high learning curve, but once you pass that curve, it's pretty fine. That is a great way of putting it. Uh, I could talk all day about, how I feel about people's aversion to the series purely based on fear of its difficulty. And I 
but I'm not going to get into that. And I will also say that as somebody who in part avoided the series for that reason, it wasn't just the type of game I sought out. Now, if you are not someone who likes difficult games, period, full stop, I'm still going to recommend this series to you, but maybe it just isn't for you. I mean, I'm not saying that it's for everybody, but I just do, I, I reject difficulty as the sole reason. And I also think people's, people don't know their bars for difficulty until they've played more difficult games. I didn't, I honestly, when I, when I was approaching this series for the first time, I was like, this, this is going to be too, uh, this is going to kick my ass and I'm going to have a terrible time because I've played video games that do that. Like, and they're mostly like NES games and like ghosts and goblins kind of shit. This was not like that at all. And I was very surprised at how, quickly I picked it up and I'm, you know, I wasn't an expert by any means and I'm still not in some ways, but I have a lot of experience and it, and the difficulty is just not a problem. It's not something that holds this back. I said, I wasn't going to go on about it. I'm done now. <laughs> no, I, I, keep think, going, but. I think you're fine. Yeah. It's, um, it's something that gets brought up a lot when the series is talked about, but as I said before, it's it's a learning curve. Uh, it's it's almost an attitude the game has towards the player more than anything else. Um, that that I believe Miyazaki was trying to purposefully engineer. But as the games have gone on, um, especially with kind of the press uh, releases about Sekiro and Dark Souls Three, uh, it feels like they're leaning on you know we're making this really yeah. hard on you. Whereas before, I think it was just kind of a general attitude that the game was taking. And now I feel like they have latched onto that as its own dial that they are, they continually turn up. Right. And I, and here's a, here's a way I would put it that I think you may like is the, the, these games are like a tough, but fair friend who really want you to succeed. And once you impress them and overcome the things they're throwing at you, they become like your best friend. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, does that make them a needy person at the beginning? Who even knows? But Who, we won't. Get uh, into yeah, that. yeah. I would say that's probably true. Yeah, it, it, it's just it's it's a game that it's a series that once I felt like I got the hang of it, I was like, in the club sounds super elitist, and it's it's it's, but there is a there is a there's an appreciation that I think just grows and grows and grows and grows. You have all these breakthrough moments um, that I think incentivize you to keep going. You know, when you survive with other people who have experienced those breakthrough moments too, when you have survived the undead Berg Mm -hmm. and defeated, you know, the Taurus demon or things like that. um, I mean, you just feel that dopamine rush and you just want to keep doing that. Right. And, and I will say I've never felt a kinship with someone who beat super Mario Odyssey or True. Super Mario World, like we've all done it. I, and it, and not that this is an extremely difficult task, but it's just I've never felt such a kinship with people who have overcome these types of challenges like I have, like who have, who have conquered certain things or found certain things in a game, found its secrets, beat its bosses. It's something very special, and it's not totally unique to the series, but it is one of the main draws right, for me. Um, but Demon Souls, as you said, was not super popular. What yes. about the follow-up? Well, yeah, there we get to it. Dark Souls. Um, Dark Souls is the in the, the godfather in a way. Demon Souls walked so Dark Souls could run. True. Um, Dark Souls, in contrast to Demon Souls, was released on multiple platforms. It is really when they took 
a lot of the greatest ideas of Demon Souls because that game is flawed. And I took like most of the best parts about it and expanded them and added a bunch of new stuff and really, really, really honed in on what people liked about the first one. And it was a massive success, extremely well-received. Miyazaki and that whole series just exploded in popularity. It had, it kind of created like a newfound love for demon souls all over. Um, and it basically gave Miyazaki power to do whatever he wanted in until now. And in, 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 assuming Elden Ring isn't a bomb, which I doubt it will be, he'll continue to have that power if he wishes. Yeah, he could have ended world hunger, cured cancer, but he used his total power to just keep making great games, which I guess awesome. I can't take yeah. issue with. Yeah. Go on. No, I know that that's all I had. Um, I guess we should probably start talking about, you know, the, the core elements of these, of the Soulsborne games, like what makes them stand out from other games and what are the general design values that unite them? Yeah, because I think to do a discussion of each game by itself would be uh, counterproductive because we'd be listing so many of these qualities game after game after game. Yeah, we're going to um, try to summarize it as best we can because we are going to do, we know we're going to do one of them. <laughs> at least, yeah. Um, well, we, we definitely have one planned in the very near future. Um, and I'm sure we will do at least one other. So. Yeah. We, we aren't going to spend too much time on any one specific game. No. Um, but generally, uh, as we mentioned, Miyazaki was a fan of Western fantasy. So all of these games are Western fantasy themed, um, not Eastern fantasy. Um, you see Eastern fantasy more in Sekiro. And that's not to say this is an entirely Western fantasy dominated world or worlds. Mm -hmm. They have influences from lots of different cultures and civilizations. Um, but by and large, it's more Western fantasy than anything else. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's also all of these worlds or cities, whatever they might be, they're also very desolated. They're deserted. They're very beautiful. Again, the architecture is incredible. The forest areas, the, you know, the living areas feel, you know, great. The settings are very grandiose, but the actual place, the civilization is in very bad decline. Yes. Very um, effective environments here and very beautiful and darkly beautiful areas. And just the world in all of these games is in one way or another, because again, some of them are, you know, Bloodborne is, is more like Victorian um, gothic horror and this in kind of the rest of the games we're going to talk about are more like medieval dark medieval fantasy um, but it's yeah. always very effective environments and we'll talk about um, you know tone and aesthetic a little bit later but I think thematically the idea that these areas and these worlds would be very beautiful under the right circumstances. Yes. Um, you know, I'm thinking of things like dark root garden, things like that, um, that makes them look even more disturbing and terrifying under these um, bad conditions. I guess. Right. And at the same time, we're also not saying like post-apocalyptic type. No, this isn't like a barren wasteland. No, we played one too many games like that. That's not what this is. Not as as desolate, desolated and deserted and and antagonistic as your environments are, it's not it's not like a fallout environment. No, 
Um, however, like Fallout, uh, the game and the world is very hostile towards the player pretty much immediately. Yes. Um, the player, you're just, you learn that you're not safe here. And basically every game, your starting area, um, kind of once you expand just even a little bit beyond it, you confront enemies, you confront dying and what uh, you know happens as a result of that. And some enemies that you can kill now, but maybe aren't supposed to. And this isn't anything too new. I mean, there are RPGs out there that you can wander into an area very close to the starting area and run into an enemy that you're just clearly not supposed to fight yet. So it's not, like, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a completely new idea, but it, it, there, the game puts a, a very specific, the games put a very specific emphasis on telling you that you need to be good at this to, to continue. Good or at the very least, and we'll talk about that in a bit, good or take your time. Um, yes. I think that's the number one tip I would give to a brand new player. These are not um, hack and slash games. No, 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 no. Even in Bloodborne, which has a lot of hacking and slashing and is more frantic. Right. Um, the game does not hold your hand. This is not um, a Nintendo game that generally will point out, you know, chests and important items um, and important characters and things like that. You kind of have to search the world yourself and make your own fun. Um, you'll get some really weird cryptic clues from characters. You could look them up online um, or you can kind of run around and investigate and sort of discover um, I wouldn't recommend that for all the secrets, but you can for some of them. Yeah, I mean, the I don't know if we were like, we had like a, a designated spot to talk about like the online community. But uh, no, yeah, just but, kind of the gameplay. But maybe maybe we should mention now that one of the reasons this series continues to be what it is and kind of blew up in the first place was the was the online community and just general, the community of fans who play this game, who share information, because when people were, when the game first comes out and there's no strategy guide or people refuse to use strategy guides, some people would rely on other people telling them where things were um, like, Oh, Hey, did you find this secret room in this area? And that's how people would learn about it. And there's a lot of word of mouth involved in sharing strategies, sharing all this stuff. And again, this is not unique to this series of games, but I think it's what, part of what make the the community is so strong and so great that I think it's, it makes the series even better. I agree. Um, you wouldn't need the community for this to be an A plus effort, but the community really only heightens the experience. Absolutely. Um, so in these hostile environments, save areas are few and far between. You are not allowed to save wherever you would like. Uh, you may also, uh, change your status in various ways, either become human again or altered certain, um, yeah, statuses for your character. Um, these are also where you level up your character. Um, these are action RPGs. You have levelable stats like strength, speed, defense, things like that. Um, the, your character is not static like they are in, say, Sekiro, for example. Yeah, right. Um, anything else about, so, well, you know, in certain, we've said bonfire before, but every game in the souls games, they're called bonfires in demon souls. What are they called? I don't even know what you would call them in demon souls. I, I can't even remember the term, um, but in bloodborne, they're lanterns. I tend to just yes. use all the terminology from dark souls. I'll call lanterns in bloodborne bonfires. I'll call blood echoes in, uh, in bloodborne souls. Oh yeah. Um, 
Oh yeah, we need to talk about souls. Oh, uh, I mean, <laughs> so it's pretty I, integral. But yeah, I, we'll get to well, that with the game. I mean, sure, gameplay. But really, all you need to know in terms of uh, leveling up is that souls are kind of your currency in general, both to level up and buy things. Right, and and I don't want to use a, the term souls like other than the one just the way I just used it. But there is an element of these games that exists in games like it where souls are again you said souls are your currency when you die you lose that currency and you have to go back into your body where you died and get them if you don't then you lose them forever yes which creates very high risk of reward gameplay um yes. that when you pull it off feels incredible when you don't is devastating it's very frustrating but there is at no point in any of these games like a game over like you just there's no way to succeed you know, you exactly. can lose you. I still get angry when I lose a bunch of souls, um, but you get over it. You move on and you succeed. Yeah. Um, um, but like, it, due to the sorry, due to the hostility and difficulty that you were mentioning and just like the, the thing about the save areas and the, and, the, the, and the bonfires of these games versus other, you know, action RPGs is like it, it feels very earned when you get to a new one would you agree like when you not just discovering because one's usually associated with a new area it's like that idea of progression and not just finding a new area but finding a new save state that you can like a new home base for the you're that way you're going to be beating your head against the wall for the next like couple hours <laughs> yeah even more insanely delightful there are sometimes secret bonfires or very oh, yeah. hard to reach bonfires um, and those are immensely satisfying to find. I'm thinking of the one in Earth and Peak. I'm thinking of the one uh, in the sewers of Blighttown. Oh, um, yeah. Just some that will just make your day when you find them. Right. And and, and that kind of antag- antagonism, pe- some people don't care for. And I, I do get that. But there is something to be said. If you're having a good time generally, and when you start to master the game, like all things, if you beat a boss finally that you've been struggling against, it feels great. If you finally make it to a bonfire after just struggling to get through a very hostile area, it's just, it's a very good feeling. I, I see well, it not as, not as masochistic. I see it as a, a, a the type of game that you want to play when you want, you want a challenge to overcome. You want to feel good about yourself. <laughs> I think it becomes, or I think it's down to the kind of person you are. I, I think we both kind of said it in different ways, but I think if you're the kind of person that when you get to a bonfire or you reach a goal uh, in a game that you've been after, if you think, God, that yes, that makes all 50 previous tries worth it. I, yeah. I like learned about the game. I know my character better now. If that's your mindset, you'll love these games. If your mindset is, God, this is so annoying. Every try was a waste of my time. I hated this. Um, this bonfire is so stupid. Like If that's your attitude, these will make you miserable. Yes. Yep. And, and, and for a time, sometimes you will find it miserable until you get to the next part, but you've got to be kind of hooked by the core of the game to begin with, to keep yourself playing. Right. You always have to have the mindset uh, that the game is hostile, but it is always trying to teach you. Yes, very much so. Um, so these games, pretty much all of them, um, they feature some very larger than life world powers, almost these godlike beings that kind of have macro control over the things that are going on in the various worlds or cities. 
at the beginning, sometimes you're introduced to them, sometimes not, sometimes you discover them a bit later. However, whenever you meet them, you kind of immediately feel dwarfed by them. You feel very insignificant to them. Yes. Um, and almost always you will eventually go on to fight them and even kill them. So you go from, you know, in Dark Souls 1, to use an example, you go from getting, you know, endlessly murdered by the skeletons in the graveyard at the beginning of the game. Yep. Um, that's the beginning. By the end of the game, you will have slain Nito, the first of the <laughs> dead and like god of death, essentially, in this world, um, which is just endlessly cool it just tickles you know it tickles my brain the way they do the progression is pretty crazy i mean again like this is this is different to me than oh you're fighting and catching ratatas and then suddenly (laughs) you're catching zapdos like this is like you're you're dying to enemies that look like they shouldn't kill you right that's Um, the most frustrating thing and that do it's like pokemon but ratatas could kick your ass yeah you know what i mean Um, it's like if ratatas had hyper beams (laughs) yeah. yeah Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a great point. Yeah. Um, and to the, you know, the godlike beings, they're not godlike simply for gameplay reasons. They represent things about the themes of the game and on kind of a more of a metal level. Very much so. Um, tell us a little bit about the areas. So, so far until now Elden Ring, there has been no, these are not open world games um, in the sense of, and I'm saying like open world in the sense of like more modern, like The Witcher and Breath of the Wild. And I'm also saying not open world in like a Shadow of the Colossus sense. No. Because even Shadow of the Colossus is a larger, like contiguous space than any of the ones in in these games for the most part. Um, there are very discrete individually named like meticulously designed areas in all of these games that are in one way or another, or for the most part interconnected. I mean, it's, it's almost like these games are linear in a way that doesn't feel too linear. Now, some more than others, dark souls. One is hailed as being an incredible interconnected world. Not every area is connected to the others, but it is a triumph in a seamless world. Um, I believe the phrase Miyazaki used um, was uh, cylindrical level design. So Mm. if you conceptualize the world of Dark Souls 1, it sort of makes a cylinder um, from top to bottom. So it's almost like you are going to different levels of a building and kind of, you know, different quote unquote offices area office areas in that building right um i don't think any other game mimic that design or at least as well um i still think dark souls one um, by far has the most interconnected world but that is a feature of all of them yes and and, and in terms of like really large contiguous spaces there's not a whole lot to speak of um there's the likes of fair and keep in dark souls 2 world 6-2 and demon souls you know the swamp in the in the ringed city dark souls 3 dlc i mean pretty much every swamp area in the game is pretty huge in, in all these games, but they're not open. They're not like open in the sense that an open world is, I mean, there's usually a very clear direction to go. And there's kind of, there's reward for kind of hiding, like looking behind every nook and cranny. Right. But it's not in the sense of like the breath of the wild is really. 
And that's what's going to be one of the most interesting things that we'll talk about, about what Elden Ring could bring to this series. Well, and I think that's in... Or takeaways. Well, true, because I think in the Souls game particularly, um, the open areas make me feel very scared. Uh, I don't like them because you feel very vulnerable. I kind of like the tighter hallways of other areas because uh, you feel safer. It feels like your approach is a bit safer and more calculated. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about it when we get to Elden Ring hopes. But um, I think there's a way to balance, you know, um, a designed approach with kind of that fear of the unknown and that open space in an exciting way. Right. Yep. Um, One of the other things, in, in addition to the difficulty, I've heard cited as a reason to for someone to not want to play this, these games is the lack of a traditional narrative, which again, it's a fair point. It depends on how you want to consume your stories or if you even give a shit about the story. Cause I know plenty of people who play this game for the gameplay. I do as well. I, I mention things to certain people that know the story, certain lorelets that I just really, you know, love. And they just look at me and go, wait, who's that character? Or wait, what game is that from? Yeah. <laughs> Admittedly, like, yeah. I forget okay. stuff all the time from the lore. Um, yeah, true. But there, there are people that are just, as you said, like that I know that are purely dedicated to gameplay alone. And just, you know, you could say, you know, you know, Prince Lothric and they would just scratch their head and say, yeah. What? And, I, and I've heard the term like soft world building used um, for like the overall style of these games, including their narrative. And I would say that what that probably encompasses is the idea of this sort of like esoteric lore from reading item descriptions, talking to NPCs, and just sometimes just absor- observing the environment. There's minimal cutscenes in these games, and the cutscenes that do exist are usually just a badass cutscene to introduce a boss. And like there's I'm, like maybe a, like a lower cutscene in the beginning that's very vague, and then one at the end. Yeah, there's really, I think the only cutscene in the middle of the game with dialogue occurs in Bloodborne. Is that right? Um, that I can uh, remember. There's, there's some dialogue before certain bosses. They're actually kind of in, there might be one Dark Souls also. But I mean, in general, like there's, and again, this is not to say there's no dialogue. There is a lot of dialogue in these games. I mean, not, you know, as much as, I mean, there might be more as many there's as much dialogue in this game as there is in like Breath of the Wild. Their dialogue is, scenes are pretty few and far between in, in Zelda. Granted, there's like a lot more people, but I don't know. I could be wrong about that. But ultimately, how you you are kind of in control of how much story you want. Um and 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 there have been people who have tired endlessly gathering together hints and looking through the environments and just drawing conclusions from what enemies are placed where like there's a significance that this enemy is here and then they appear in this location later you know there are people who have looked at this over and over and over again like tireless tirelessly read every item description and have put together incredible summaries and theories about what's going on because not everything is laid out explicitly I mean, there's probably plenty that people that is conjecture, plenty of people have put forth as what they believe to be what's going on. And Miyazaki might say, I, don't, I either don't know or that's not what I meant or you nailed it. I mean, there's so much. But in terms of like, you know, what, how much story you want, I mean, you, you don't have to read everything. Right. I mean, you, you don't have to pay it so close attention to your environment that 
you're trying to draw these conclusions. You don't have to talk to every NPC. You could forget immediately what they said after they say it to you, you know? Um, This is also a game that uh, we have purposely not used the word mystery. Maybe there are mysterious elements, but mystery implies that there will be some kind of payoff. Yes. Uh, There's really no payoff in game. The payoff comes from you thinking about it or referring to outside things that uh, James, you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, again, there's not many characters in this game in any of these games, but the ones you, that you talk to usually have something to offer you positive likely. And, and, but in very many instances, they're all, they might offer you something, but they also could be murderous. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Or they could be nice to you in one interaction and then you come back to them later and they want to kill you or, you know, something has turned out wrong or they're dead and you don't know why. Right. And, and it's I think there's some humor in the in these games, too. And some of that, I think, comes from the NPCs. Right. Because absolutely there'll be the, like characters will often laugh at you or just like treat you like you're nothing. I mean, we mentioned earlier that you can become human. That's to say that in some of these games, the Dark Souls one specifically, you kind of start as like an undead um, and they will treat you as like something lesser. And their dialogue will range from obliquely helpful to incredibly like hostile and antagonistic. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes if you don't do the right thing, um, you might help out an NPC that'll end up killing other NPCs that you like. So be careful. And oftentimes they will ask you to make varied solid choices about things one way or the other. When you lack almost all context for that choice. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's a lot of leaps of faith in this game in Absolutely. both the literal and figurative sense. Um, yeah, similarly to kind of character dialogue um, and, you know, the the lore and item descriptions not tying anything up. Almost every game in the series, I think every single game in this series features multiple endings based on certain choices you make. Um, however, the endings are pretty much as vague as the stories. Um, the ending really never clarifies a lot. There's some big takeaways from each ending, but it's not like you're going to co- get a comprehensive understanding of, uh, you know, for example, uh, Melisandre, or not Melisandre, that's Game of Thrones, Nishandra. <laughs> you're not going to get Nishandra's complete, you know, motivation backstory. Those are yeah. going to be things that you barely scratch the surface on inside things. The ending won't give you that. Right. And we should, I feel like we got to tread lightly about this because I, I agree and I disagree. I, I agree in the sense that you will not get every an explanation for why everything and everyone is where they are and what they are. But there is a story and you do complete it. And there are, there are, there is a start to finish story that exists, but it does vary. I mean, there, there is, there is the kind of the core of what's going on in every game. It's not like this isn't aimless. You're not doing what you're doing in these games for no reason, right? There is a story that ties it all together, but there is a very, there's like the solid beginning. There's beats along the way that are kind of few and far between that are all going to happen. No matter what they do progress the actual story that everyone is tied to no matter how many times you play the game. And then there will be areas where you can branch off a little bit. And then some of those lead to different endings. So again, like there is a story. It does exist. It is not absurdly vague. It's just sparse. Maybe. Um, yeah, I would say, uh, 
sparse but chock full of detail somehow yes. at yeah, the same yeah. time. Right. Um, sparse on the surface, very detailed under the surface, if you care to look that far. Yes. I think you're right. I think a lot of these endings make way more sense given the full context of lore. Um, you know, viewed by themselves without that context, they don't really clarify a ton. Right. And I just I just didn't want to give an impression that we were saying that True. there is no story because there no. absolutely is. Yeah, because you're as you said, there's hundreds of hours of content on YouTube and podcasts um, just about the stories of these games and yeah. kind of all the details that are littered there. Yep. Um, but tell us a little bit more about gameplay. We talked about it a bit earlier. Uh, there's kind of a lot going on with the multiplayer. Yeah. So the multiplayer gameplay is, to, in my opinion, one of the absolute best reasons to play these games. I like to tell people that I have a just, I will drop what I'm doing, in, not like at any point, any day, but if I'm like playing other games and I'm busy doing other things, like I, if someone says, Hey, I want to play as someone who has never played these, this series before, if they're just like, I want to play dark souls. Will you play co-op with me? I will do it. Um, because co-op is one of the, just the best things about, about this series, like I said. And when I say co-op, there is a kind of a system in, in these games, um, in which you are able to summon your friends into your game to help you beat certain areas. And then you can do, you can get someone to their games and do the same and they can be complete strangers or they can be people, you know, and playing these games online with you, with my brother, like with friends, it it is such a fun experience to share these games with other people is one of the great joys of my life (laughs) Uh, since I got introduced to this series. Likewise, um, and um, the experience of playing these games solo versus playing through them with, you know, partners and friends is they're worlds apart. They're both very, very satisfying. Very different experiences, like in, but, a, in a great way. Exactly. Very different. Each has their own strengths, but also a few cons. Um, if you get into these games, I, I cannot suggest strongly enough to play them with, with friends and people you know. Right. And I would also say at some point, regardless of which one you do first, play them alone. Yes. Because when you're playing them alone, you really get absorbed more in the atmosphere and the isolation that the game is forcing on you in, in a good way. It, I, I think that playing with with co-op, but playing with friends is less rewarding or just rewarding in a slightly different way. It's, it's, it's a different kind of fun, like playing all these games solo and conquering them solo, beating every single boss. I've now beaten every boss in these these games by myself with no help from stranger or friend. And it is in, I cannot stress enough how incredible of an experience it is. But um, I'm fine when I when I <laughs> when I replay it, I usually just play with the friend or my brother. I It's just. It's such a great experience anyway. So on the other side of that coin, there are invaders. And this is one of my least favorite elements of these games. And this is an element where you can avoid it. So it's not a reason to put the series down. But it does, it is a, a troublesome 
bit of shit. <laughs> I think, um, it, yeah, I think the idea of it is a good idea and innocent enough. I think the world at large and the internet turned invaders into nightmare situations. Yeah. I mean, the long story short is that people, you, if you want to, if you want to be this person, you can invade other people's worlds and you can kill them. Um, it's very frustrating as for as good as it, there's a, there's two different ways of being good at these games. There's good at just the games in general, like PVE. And then there's PVP. Yeah. PVE and I'm, I am very good at PVE player. Versus e enemy. Means, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Player <laughs> versus enemy. yeah and, 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 and I am very bad at PVP. When, if player. someone is very good at PVP, I'm going to die. And it is endlessly frustrating when you keep getting invaded. Again, you can you can do things to avoid getting invaded, but if you want to play co-op, it's harder to avoid those situations. Certain games do include, especially later games in the series, um, do include kind of offline pre-planned invasions. Yes. Um, what's nice about those is that they, as I said, they they occur in the same places and same times uh, in the game, so you can prepare for those a little more. Um, but you can tell the enemy AI is cranked way up. Um, it's obviously right. maybe not as good as a real human player, but even if you're going for the offline experience in some of the later games, Bloodborne, Dark Souls 3, even Dark Souls 2, um, you will get, you know, you'll get something close to it. Right. And, and, and other elements of these uh, multiplayer elements of these games is in some, some of the games, the Dark Souls series in particular has covenants that you can enter where, where you can have other people from that same covenant, usually strangers, help you um or invade you <laughs> uh and that adds kind of its own like there's a camaraderie there um it kind of like a camaraderie with like you know strangers kind of feeling you could be in by or you can have by being in the same covenant as them and also many of the covenants uh kind of exist to protect different zones characters or areas yes so you can almost pick a covenant that matches maybe the aesthetic you like or a character you like so, for example, I really think uh, the giant wolf uh, in Fair and Keep is really cool. So I like being part of that covenant, for example. Yeah. Um, and then also each covenant, depending on how many tokens you get for that covenant by successfully killing people online, you can get bonuses that you can't yes. often get anywhere else. New weapons, armor, spells, yes. all that sort of thing. And this is all to say, if none of that sounds interesting to you, covenants... And those like bonuses and perks, you don't have to do it. Don't have um, to touch it. You also don't all. have to invade other people. And if you do nope. invade other people, well, let's just say I think there's a special place in hell reserved for people <laughs> who like to play these games because they love invading other people. If them. you are getting summoned as the boss in Spears of the Church and you don't just <laughs> let the people backstab you, you're a monster. You're a bad person. Yeah. Um, the last thing with, with, with multiplayer, and this is a pro and a con of it, is it changes boss strategies in a way that's yes. really interesting. There are some bosses in these series that are very clearly designed with programming to target one person at a time. Right. And sometimes boss fights, is, boss fights can be too easy. Other times, it can be pretty hard. Uh, and sometimes it's not a good idea to summon someone else for a boss for the reason that in, I think, all of these games, if you summon someone else to help you, the boss will have more health, which is a great feature, I think. Yeah, it's it's a good offset. The problem being, if your pal gets killed in the first you know minute of the fight... Which uh, can you, happen. <laughs> which often happens. Yeah. You are now alone with a boss with much higher health. Yes. Um, but it is... It, the, the joy you get from 
just beating the shit out of a boss. That's a great boss to play with two people. Um, it's very rewarding in its own Or way. also, uh, there are certain bosses that uh, are different characters. So things like yes. Smo or the Demon Princes. There are a couple others that I can't think of at the moment. But using um, uh, co-op partners to kind of split their forces and distract certain ones uh, and kind of have your own duels going on across the, the gameplay area is an incredible feeling as well. Yes, absolutely. Um. Anything else about multiplayer? I think we covered it all. Um, you kind of already mentioned players can leave messages oh, to either to either. I, d- I didn't mention that. That's a great. That's a great to one. each other. So yes, <laughs> it, you know, we call them soapstone messages, just like we call everything kind of souls in terms of currency. But essentially, in every game, there are ways to leave little messages on the ground. Uh, the developer from will leave messages to tutorialize certain things about the game and community members can leave certain messages to either help or trick players. Um, And those messages can be voted on by players at large. So oftentimes if you leave a message and it is highly voted, you get different bonuses or perks. Um, Some of these suck. These will say, try jumping on a cliff edge Um, or try rolling on a cliff edge. And sometimes you find really amazing secret areas. 95% of the time you will roll off to your death. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This is a part that I I don't mind. And it's also another thing I don't engage in. I think I've maybe left one soapstone message ever. Um, It's again, not something you have to engage in. It's very amusing to read them though. Um, oh, yes. What other people like to 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 leave? I mean, I, it's been a long, 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 long time since I got tricked into rolling off a cliff. Oh um, yeah, I mean that's that's a noob thing to happen. But yeah, uh, also it's a nice way of finding secrets um, without yes. having to resort to an online guide. Yes, and so and again, like the messages are not always super specific. Like, oh, you need to go up these stairs and then turn right. Like, it's they're often very vague, but they can help you learn there's a secret or people might just bullshit you and put them down and say there's a secret when there's not it'll like there could be a message by a blank wall that just says chest ahead and so you strike the wall it disappears and there's a treasure chest you know so um not spelled out in great detail but enough for you to know kind of what you need to do yes yep um so gameplay wise this is a third person these are third person games uh very weapon-based action combat Dark Souls um, are they're very like off equally offensive and defensive based. Um, carrying a shield on you is often a good idea in those games, though you don't have to play that way. Um, Bloodborne, not as much. Bloodborne is a lot. All these games involve dodge rolling. I mean, to you have to master dodge rolling. Um, you have to ma- master stamina, you know, management and dodge rolling. And in Bloodborne, there's less of a defense. It's more about dodging and hitting. And Dark Souls games, there's more of an ability to kind of tank hits or with with heavy armor or absorb hits with your with your shield. Um, but overall, this is a very weapon based. These are weapon based action combat games. Yes. And there are so many weapons. There's, I can't even begin to get into like the variety of weapons they have and certain stats you have that help weapons scale to be better. Um, so many different weapons and different types have very unique move sets. Um, some of the games in the series lean more into taking advantage of these unique move sets than others. 
Um, but all of the games are pretty equally um, good at weapon progression, which is to say, like, you find a weapon you like, and there, there's a lot of advantages to finding materials to upgrade that weapon. We don't have to go into the details now, yeah. um, but I think probably Bloodborne uh, both kind of d- does each of these things in different ways. I think Bloodborne definitely has more uh, weapon types and movesets, but the weapon progression is far more limited. Yeah. Well, in terms of the quantity of weapons, just the variety you have, I think that Bloodborne probably has the least variety. Right. But in terms quantity, of like move sets, yes, like yes. unique move sets. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. Right. Um, where also to, you know, in Bloodborne, you can level your weapons up. But you can't do this things quite like, you know, adding ice or fire or different elements, things like that. Yes. Um, all of the games, well, sort of with the exception of, bloodborne in a way it i mean it's magic adjacent yeah all these games feature magic in some way um we could get into a discussion as to which games magic is like very like meaningful (laughs) um or useful um i I found now now i've played all of these games using magic um that i'd probably say dark souls 3 is the least useful um but uh, dark i mean i would argue bloodborne just because well yeah it, it takes so long before that is eventually viable and dark souls 3 it's more viable in the early stages i mean it's not viable overall but it's at least a bit easier in the beginning of the game right and depending on which game you're playing and, and it, it does vary sometimes magic is kind of a way to play the game in an easier mode it depends though some yeah. game, some of these games, some of these games will have moments that will punish you for trying to utilize magic too much, um, and sometimes it's just not feasible at all. Right. Um, so you really need to try to be good at both, but you don't have to. There's a lot of variety. I mean, you don't have to play with magic at all if you don't want to. Um, you could be very strength, brutish, like big weapons, big swords, or you could use you know smaller swords like a rapier or or a scimitar. Um, there's a lot of options. And one of the types of weapons that they also offer are long range weapons, which is never meant as like a primary thing. Bloodborne, we have guns and cannons and flamethrowers. And then the Dark Souls games, there's it's really just bows and arrows, right? Yeah. And if you're thinking, you know, something like, as you said, this isn't meant to be a primary weapon. This isn't like Skyrim, right? Where if you keep using, you know, bows and arrows and things like that, you're going to find buffs or rings or things that will make it worth it to use bows and arrows. No, no, that never happens. Yep. Um, They're more just meant to kind of distract enemies, uh, lure enemies, uh, you know, away one by one. Um, or interrupt enemy attacks that is more so the gun in bloodborne um but not necessarily meant as a primary weapon yes right um another huge factor of the game and it's also again one you do not have to engage with at all is the idea of backstabs and parries all these games have an ability in some form or another to be able to time a parry of an enemy attack and then that will usually leave them open for a very powerful attack from you um, uh, brutal counterattacks. Timing is very tricky, so it's again, it's not, it's, it takes a lot of time to master it. Um, I still, I mean, I'm even still very bad. I would say at parrying. Um, I think I'm better at backstabbing, but parrying that timing window is it's very small. The game does not hold your hand with it. It's very fickle. I would say that I'm only very confident, remotely confident with it in Bloodborne. The others, I think, it is I would, yeah, I would say that Bloodborne makes it a bit easier. 
yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like you mentioned, backstabbing. If you would just kind of circle around an enemy and attack them from behind, you can backstab them, which is also very devastating. Um, we'll talk a little bit about enemies and bosses, and then we can kind of move on. Um, you know, to, to say too much about the enemies and bosses in these games is is to give too much away about what makes these games so great. Um, some stuff is better not mentioned. But again, as you mentioned, this is very rooted in Western fantasy with just incredibly creative designs. Um, and, we, you know, the designs can range from funny, like silly, to outright terrifying, like frightening and monstrous. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah, I would say so. Um, my favorite silly enemies are the mimics, which are just Love them. treasure chests that aren't real treasure chests. They're monsters full of teeth that will eat you up yeah. um, if you accidentally open them. And they are amazing and have very hilarious attack animations. Um, but what I think really works about these games is that mimics can occupy the same world as, you know, say, uh, you know, Udex Gunder. Uh, they all feel of a piece. They all feel kind of of one mind, um, which makes sense because Miyazaki right. is sort of the architect. Of I mean, this. if you like Dungeons and Dragons, then you should fucking play this game. All these <laughs> yeah, games. no kidding. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and some of this is just borrowed straight out of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, very much so. Um, enemies usually have a pretty complicated AI, uh, like with different weapons and movesets of all their own. Some enemy AI is better than others, without a doubt. Some, and in a lot of ways, these are, you know, if you look closely enough, there are cracks, you know, that you can exploit with a lot of enemies. And, you know, it's a video game. It's not real well, life. <laughs> also, oftentimes, I think it plays in thematically because so many of the enemies you fight are kind of these hollowed out husks of who they used to be. Um, so it kind of makes sense that they would just be shuffling back and forth, um, that maybe their AI might be a little weird because, again, these aren't like full functioning human beings anymore. Right. Or animals they're like crazed dogs who are infected with this horrible curse um so oftentimes if there are gaps or problems you found i not that i write it off but i think it fits thematically that yeah i would be that way yeah yeah um so enemies will group up as we mentioned that's why i was saying i sort of like the more contained hallway areas in this series um, it encourage you, encourages you to plan ahead and play very slowly. You're going to want to go slowly around corners. You're going to want to check behind every door to make sure you don't get ambushed. Um, enemies aren't just running around the level. Um, they kind of wait in their rooms or areas for you to come upon them. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, ambushes and traps happen frequently in these games. Um, you'll oftentimes enter a room, close the door, and then you may have enemies, you know, jump out at you from behind the door from holes in the wall um, or things like that. Uh, you can't really just rush past enemies. The game punishes that tactic. Uh, you can run, but sooner or later, you're going to wind up in a bottleneck or you're going to get stuck behind a locked door or something else. And that entire chain of enemies is going to catch up to you and very quickly kill you. Additionally, that is going to screw you over twice as hard because then you have to go all the way back to get your souls where you died. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Which is no good. Yeah. Um, what do we have left to talk about? Well, we can talk about boss fights. Yeah. Uh, which is something the, the game is definitely known for, or rather the series. 
these generally range from kind of two different styles. Uh, one is more traditional. It's just kind of a test of your skills, your strength, your reflexes. You're going to be reading boss patterns. You're going to be striking when you see openings, uh, that sort of thing. The other type are kind of puzzle or gimmick bosses. Those are bosses that require kind of one weird trick or a specific strategy to take down. Those are fewer and farther between. And I think those vary in quality way more um, than the more traditional bosses. Yeah. I, I mean, we could gush well, and rave um, or rave and rant about boss fights for a while, but we're not going to do that here. No, when we cover individual games, you know, if and when we do, that's when we'll break down uh, all the bosses. But just know they're a memorable part of all of these games, no matter what. Absolutely. Um, before we get into Elden Ring, uh, I think, it, you know, we should probably just briefly talk about our histories with with this series in general. And when we talk about the individual games, we'll get a little bit more into that or not. But I just I want to say thank you, because you are the, the final push to get me Aha. to play these, this series. Um, yes. I remember um, a, a good friend of mine, he used to play demon souls. Uh, and I remember I would come over to his place and I would hear him screaming in the basement from the front door. And I come downstairs and he like throwing his controller, just yelling about how he died. Cause he was trying to get his souls back. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what this is, but it sounds like a terrible <laughs> experience. Um, and that was kind of my, what I thought about when I thought about this series for a while. And then Dark Souls came out and it was just people raved about it. I, it, I, it wasn't on my radar. I never touched it. And it wasn't until about maybe the mid 2010s where I was like, maybe I should get into this. And I still didn't. And I, I started reading more about it and like learning about the fan community. And I finally did it. Even though it turns out my brother had been playing these games all along and just loved them. Um, and he just I, either he never told me or he told me and I just ignored him. Um, <laughs> but like I, I, you know, I started like listening to some podcasts that were just raving about Dark Souls uh, and the whole series in general, but Dark Souls mainly. And you and I, you know, we had entered into a conversation about this, and I and I did not know how much of a big fan you were, and I, I learned that, and just kind of your love for it was very infectious and it it was the thing that pushed me to to buy dark souls remastered and uh play it and i will never forget that experience well thank you thank you um my history this year with the series is uh perhaps a tiny bit longer than yours in terms of playing it i had no idea what demon souls was uh at first i heard rumblings about it and then heard good things later like i said it kind of developed a cult following a bit later but i never dipped my toes um, I watched one of my friends in college play Dark Souls. It must have been immediately after it came out. So I was watching him play it and I noticed like, hey, you know, why, why does that, uh, you know, spear move differently than that earlier spear you had? And he was saying, oh, well, you know, each of the weapons has kind of a different moveset. And he started explaining some of the mechanics. And I remember being like, that sounds like way too much. That doesn't sound fun. And he just kept telling me like, no, trust me, it is. And after kind of watching him play for the weekend, I was at least curious enough to pick up a copy uh, for Xbox 360 at GameStop for, I think, you know, like 18 bucks. Um, I played it. Uh, I didn't get super far and I kind of abandoned it because, you know, it was difficult. I was busy. It wasn't for me. Um, then Dark Souls 2 was coming out. Um, I had just graduated college. Um, I didn't have a full-time job yet. Uh, and so when two came out, I pre-ordered it. I picked it up day one. 
and I kind of played through it beginning to end it, just all at once in a rush. I absorbed it. I just, I loved it so much. Um, and then went back to Dark Souls 1, which, you know, I had butt my head up against a few times. I'd never made it past maybe uh, the Gaping Dragon or maybe a little bit further than that. But uh, once I had two under my belt, I went back, powered through one, uh, looked up a million things about both games online, um, played through both games on 360 multiple times, multiple different play styles. Um, when I got a PlayStation 4, I immediately downloaded Scholar of the First Sin when it became available, played through that multiple times. Uh, I bought a PlayStation 4 specifically to play Bloodborne. Um, same thing, played through that multiple times. Um, so, uh, as well as Dark Souls 3. Um, and I am eagerly anticipating uh, Elden Ring. Yes. Um, let's get into Elden Ring. Um, well, I guess we've kind of been peppering throughout why we think you should play these games. Um, and I guess I'll just say all the above. Um, well, let's make like a but, strong one, two, three sentence sales pitch, perhaps. Yeah, it's hard. I don't have one prepared, but <laughs> <laughs> I wish I would have. Um, I guess I would say these are fantastic games for people who enjoy fantasy and kind of crave a more of a challenge in their video gaming um, in a, in a non like arcade game sense in a non like other challenging games like Celeste it's, it's a different type of game where you are continuously trying to overcome an obstacle and then you do and you feel great. And then there's the next one and then the next one. And when it's all over, there's so much that the game gives you in addition to that sort of, reward that the overall experience is just delightful yeah i i guess my pitch would be play this if you want something that will haunt you um both good and bad once you get over that that hump that initial learning curve uh this game this entire series will infect your mind if you let it uh, when i'm doing a new run of any of these games while i'm at work while I'm at the store, while I'm doing other things, I'm thinking about my character build. I'm thinking about boss strategies. I'm thinking about weapons I want to use in this run. Uh, this series will grab you. Uh, and I think that's a very rare trait, at least for me to find in a series. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, let's, I guess let's just get our kind of final thoughts on Elden Ring. And I, I'm going to preface by saying, at least for me, and I think you're the same, I've consumed almost nothing about Elden yes same. i've seen i've seen a couple like short short videos not i i don't know much at all and so if i mention that i want something that is very clearly already in there sorry it's because i haven't been paying close enough attention likewise i saw the initial teaser and i think like six second video that leaked on twitter and nothing else yeah i would say in terms of what i hope elden ring keeps going or continues from from the rest of these games are the healing systems in dark souls one two and three i'm not as much of a fan of the healing systems in bloodborne or demon souls that is to say that that is a you don't have to kill enemies in dark souls one two and three to replenish your health your your estes flasks they replenish automatically when you sit at a bonfire. I think that is great. And I think they should keep that going. Um, 
I also, I kind of would like to see a little bit of that silliness and humor in, in some of the designs, either in like your ability to design your own character uh, and also like well, enemies as well. Um, and to me, like, I have two more things. One is kind of the variety that you have in leveling up and different stats and kind of different builds you can do. I think that in, in the Soulsborne series, it's a, it's a good amount. It's not too overwhelming and it rewards replay. I think it would be a mistake to expand it too much in Elden Ring. And generally, I just kind of hope that in making this an open world and a large scale game, they don't go overboard and overwhelm the player. Um, and the last thing I was going to say I is that's fair. the ability to summon people. Like if they maintain their co-op, like how much fun co-op is, they've done right by me. What about you? Yeah, I would agree with all of those things. Uh, additionally, I hope because this is going to be more open world, I hope magic and long range weapons get a boost and perhaps some more viability. Uh, while I love replaying these games, I kind of vacillate between kind of sword and board, which means, you know, big weapon, uh, big shield, high defense value, or uh, kind of magic builds. Um, but I think it would be fun to have more mixed class builds. And there are more builds in the Souls games, but um, those are kind of the two I gravitate towards and kind of the two, uh, quote unquote, like most effective, I guess, depending on the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would love to see different kind of build variety and weapon viability. I think that would be very cool. Yeah. Um, something I hope they carry forward is, uh, the minimal lore and kind of the, uh, unclear nature of the lore. Uh, we didn't mention that Elden Ring, the lore is written by George RR R. Martin of game of Thrones fame. Um, I think that's potentially very exciting, but I hope the lore doesn't lose its, yeah, I hope the Lord does not lose its vagueness. Right. Um, that is something I would not want. I do not want and very this, specific lore entries. Right. And the story isn't being written by him. Uh, no, it is just not. the lore. So anyone who is and, and I actually fear there are a lot of people who are buying this game because they think that George R. R. Martin wrote the story of the game. And no, they are in no, and like people who are coming to the series for the first time because they're like, oh, my, I'm going to get to play like a George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones type thing. No, you're not. That's not the experience you're going to get. No. Um, but honestly, yeah, I, I agree with you for all those things. I, I hope it carries all those things forward. Again, with the open world design, I, I hope you still get that same feeling when you find new areas or new bonfires. Um, I, you know, we're not going to know until we play uh, what that's going to feel like in kind of giant uh, open spaces. But I hope yeah. it, it still feels the same. Yeah. What about, um? is that everything you have for... Carry yeah, forward? for carry forward. I mean, pretty much, honestly, most things. <laughs> what? Uh, well, what? What do you want it to not carry forward? So here's something that I did see uh, randomly. I, I can't remember where I saw it, but I did see the fact that in Elden Ring, um, you are able to toggle invasions on or off if you are playing alone. Um, so if you are alone, you will not get invaded, even if you are connected to the internet. Uh, that really? will be an option. That will be an option for you if you would like I, to. But you I love that. To. I was going to. Um, however, I want them to get rid of that shit. Yeah. Anytime you are, you have someone to help to your side. You do make yourself open to invasions, which well, to me is very fair. I guess I, I would still prefer the ability to toggle it, um, but I would always have it off. Uh, so well, I guess that I guess I'll take what I can get, but yeah, one of the things I was hoping they would get rid of is is the ability to be invaded or invade um, but others. honestly, in terms of things totally abandoned, 
I don't really have a lot. I think I don't uh, either. The, the bones of the Soul series work very well. Um, I mean, the only thing I would have them abandon is Sekiro stuff, which, as we said, doesn't really count for this series. Yeah, I mean, I, I give I, this is a really like nitpicky thing, and I, I just don't want there to be too many boss fights against armored warriors. I don't want to see oh, some yeah. bipedal someone's in armor fighting you. I just I. Dark Souls 3, I think, has a little too much of that. Um, yeah. I, I just don't want to, I don't want too much of that in, in this. The other game. thing, I guess, I Let's hope see that creativity. Abandons. I want to yes. see like them at the, the, the height of their, you know, powers, their Grave Lord Nito esque, oh, like, yeah. just brilliant designs. Yeah. Um, I, I should say though that one of the things I hope this, uh, you know, the series does abandon with Elden Ring is the series for the most part has a very minimalistic soundtrack. It's a lot more uh, ambient sounds and ambient music, uh, just to kind of highlight mood. Um, kind of gameplay and visual aesthetic is kind of where atmosphere more comes from. However, because Elden Ring has such big open spaces, and I do know that you'll be riding around on horseback. Um, no music during long horseback stretches can be very boring. Um, I appreciated one of the reasons that uh, Shadow of the Colossus is so beautiful and amazing to me um, is just that beautiful kind of ambient music going on in the background. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, gosh, the music. I didn't even think to talk about the music. Yeah, the music in the series, as I said, it's it's very ambient. It's a lot of ambient noises to create atmosphere. Uh, there are a few, like, bosses have, for the most part, uh, you know, their own songs that are very, you know, choral and high energy and a lot of, ho, oh, 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 oh. um, <laughs> That's pretty much, like, all of them. <laughs> um, would you say that's fair? Uh, I mean, there's, there's some, like, really beautiful music in these games like the Gwyn's music the the true true but i mean it's not the kind of game where when you're walking around dark root garden the like quote unquote (laughs) dark root garden theme plays no no No. it's not imagine if it was like this like uh, this like nice jazzy like mario odyssey type music (laughs) 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 okay Um, so uh is there anything that you hope is brand new to elden ring that they're going to introduce something we have not seen before this is super vague because i didn't really know how to get specific about it but i just would love for them to find a way to encourage exploration of an open world in a way we haven't seen before there are so many open world games now to the point where i'm basically making two allowances zelda and this like i I, as much as i really enjoyed um the likes of like red dead redemption 2 i think i'm just done with open world games for the most part i just can't it's not like a, a, a type of game that i can keep coming back to it's just too it's too much but I care about this series very deeply and I would love to see them do something that I've never seen before. I'm both worried and also uh, cautiously optimistic about the crafting system. Crafting is often the way to make, uh, you know, giants open worlds engaging. I say engaging in, you know, (laughs) air quotes. It can be Um, so overwhelming though. It can be so overwhelming. Some games, it can be very valuable. Other games, it can be kind of a giant waste of your time. Uh, I think Breath of the Wild uh, does a very good job of making, for the most part, gathering useful by giving you, you know, making potions with tons of effects. Um, I think something like Fallout 4 or 3 is less effective, still effective, but um, some games just really get that system wrong. So I don't think Miyazaki would, but it does concern me a bit. Yeah. Yep. I understand that. 
also new for this series. This is also based on a rumor I've heard. And this rumor was from a very long time ago. This rumor was from, you know, shortly after the first trailer dropped. So, you know, who knows if it's true or not. But I did hear that um, at the beginning, one of the things you will pick um, when you design your character is what kingdom they're from, you know, where their or place of origin, and that uh, you will begin the game in that area or kingdom. So almost like different classes begin with different equipment sets, different uh, character origins will begin with different like beginning areas of the game. Um, so I think that could be very fun. We haven't seen that before. Yeah. Uh, and that could make replayability very uh, worthwhile. Definitely that if hopefully the way they do that is very well balanced, though, because it would be unfortunate yeah. if you if they didn't balance it well enough and you come from you start one area and then people who've been playing as long as you have are like progressed so much further and have found much more valuable shit than you have just based on location. Right. And I mean, all the games, we should mention that in multiplayer, uh, all the games do a kind of scaling system. Um, so you can't necessarily be invaded by a player who's, you know, level 100 when you're level 10. Um, but there people do have ways to cheese the game. And there can be level one players who will invade you who have, you know, weird ultimate armor and weapons and things like that. So um, right that that is a concern <laughs> yeah um and yeah that, i mean those are the two kind of newer things that i would be most excited for um you know with the, the story i'm kind of fine uh the story isn't necessarily the reason i play these games at least the direct uh, meta story i kind of love it for the micro little stories and little item description things so i know the game's gonna have those hopefully uh you know good old george rr does well with the lore but we're going to see pretty soon, right? Yep. Like a, basically a week. Yeah. Well, Anything else? No, I think that covers it. Uh, you all should play the Soulsborne games. Um, and if you've got a free 60 minutes, yep. you could watch The Grinch. You could watch The Grinch. Yeah. Okay, bye. <laughs>